0: Joy is a choice. As we woke up this morning, we made a decision. Unconsciously or deliberately, it's our choice to confront the day with a positive outlook or to dwell on the stuff that's hard and unpleasant. Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll points us to passages like this one. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. And Paul said, think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We'll begin the program with helpful highlights from yesterday before concluding Chuck's message. Why are we so blessed?
1: Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Explode with praise. Why? Why are these blessings He always sees the blessings as coming from himself, showered upon us, and in return, passed on. There's a twin psalm that ought to be read on the other side of the page with Psalm 103. And it's back number 67 in the same book. They go together. The psalmist begins almost as though it's a benediction. Oh God, be gracious to us. It could be rendered, God has been gracious to us and blessed us. And God, cause your face to shine upon us. The living Bible says, let your face beam with joy as you look down on us. But there's there's a reason you see, well, what's the reason? Well, it, it's, it's a song that, that comes back to it time and again. It, in fact, verse 2 and verse 7 can begin and end the song. They seem to be sung together. Look at verse 2. Why the blessings? That God's way may be known on the earth. That God's salvation may may be known among all the nations. And then as a wrap-up, verse 7, God blesses us. Why? Verse 7, that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. You've got to be kidding. No, never been more serious. You're telling me, Chuck, that God blesses the Christians so that the Christian is a channel of those same blessings to people that don't have them, I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, as God's ways become known, His salvation message comes clear. His salvation message is a part of His way. God, you've blessed me. You've given me information. I've learned the songs. I've heard your message of hope. Now, God, show me what to do with it. That ultimately, verse 3 and verse 5, they are identical. There's a refrain in this song. That ultimately, the peoples will praise you, O God. All the people praise you. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So first, they learn of his ways. And a part of his ways, they learn of his salvation. And upon believing in that message of salvation, they began to give him praise on their hilltops. And now you'll observe that ultimate expression of the changed heart, verse 4. Let the nations be glad. And let those nations now sing for joy. We've been doing all the singing. We know all the words. We've got all the scriptures. We're writing all the music. God, let there be a transfer. Build a bridge from the blessed hilltop down to the lowlands that they might know the songs and they might sing the songs. There's another line or two from a psalm that I want you to turn to. Hold on here and look at Psalm 137. I don't know of another psalm that puts this whole matter of music into better perspective. Music is for the believer who's walking in the light. You let that believer walk in darkness and turn to carnality and the song ends. It's amazing. It's just siphoned from the life of of the carnal Christian. Psalm 137. These dear people of Israel are now taken into captivity. And so it's by the rivers of Babylon there we sat down and wept. Notice there's no mirth here. When we remembered Zion, see they're away from home. They've been taken into this earlier holocaust. They're moving away from the land over to Babylon. We remembered Zion and we sat down and wept. Upon the willows in the midst of it we hung Our harps, why did they do that? Verse 3, our captors demanded of us songs. Our tormentors demanded of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It's a question that is rhetorical. It's, It's designed to make you think. You in a foreign land have lost your song. Christian, and if that's true, believe me, those who dwell in them never heard them. They don't know them. Lord God, you've blessed us eminently and greatly. We take time to name four or five words that begin with the letter H, and we could go on all afternoon in dialogue about that. But you've shown us now, Lord, that your ways are to be known on the earth so we understand it's to... It's to be taken in and it's to be slipped through the straw, as it were, and given to some other life who would never know the nourishment of of this kind of thing we've been in all our lives. So that ultimately they might know your salvation and they might sing your songs and they might reflect your joy. No one ever said it better than Spurgeon. Nothing creates gladness so speedily as the salvation of God. God. Nations never will be glad till they follow the leadership of the great shepherd. They may shift their modes of government from monarchies to republics and from republics to communes, but they will retain their wretchedness till they bow before the Lord of all. What a sweet word is that, to sing for joy. Whole nations will do this when Jesus reigns over them in the power of his grace. Oh, man. Back to Psalm 67, verse 6. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. Do you see what's happened? In the psalm, there's been a full cycle. The psalmist begins by looking at himself as eminently blessed. And then he asks why and answers that your way may be known, that your salvation may be believed, that praises to your name may be given, that your songs may be sung and gladness may be revealed in hearts. And ultimately, as you reproduce the crops in their field, may they also give your blessing so that all the ends of the earth are blessed. What did Chuck talk about today? Someone might ask you. Chuck talked about Psalm 67. What was it about? Well, it was about the importance of of sharing what we have come to appreciate and often take for granted. Well, how did he suggest you ought to do that? Now, listen carefully. I have some suggestions that that, uh, uh, could be supported in Scripture, but for the sake of saving time, I'll just put together these thoughts, and you can add the Scriptures. A couple of things I would say in the beginning, and then the other two are not as familiar to us in our ministry. We don't emphasize them nearly enough. The first two we hear about a lot. How do I go about carrying the message Well, number one, I would say first we must know the truth ourselves. K-N-O-W, you must know it. No one can ever share something that he himself does not have. I have no message to give that I do not first know. I have no changed life that I can offer to someone else until my first has been based on that knowledge of how life can be changed. It's impossible to share what we don't possess. So first, uh, do you know the God of of salvation? Do you know Jesus in a personal way? Ever been a time in your life where you said, Yes, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you died for me as if I were the only person alive you would have come for me. I believe in you. I believe you're living because I believe you were raised from the dead I take that message of eternal life that I've heard preached from your word, and I believe it. I adhere myself to it by faith. I want to be named among your followers. I'm a Christian. If that's true, then you know it. The second, we must live the message we claim to know. Now, this shouldn't be complicated. But it is terribly painful. It doesn't come natural. It comes natural to steal. For the Christian to live the message of Jesus Christ, he doesn't steal any longer. It becomes necessary in the living out of the Christian life that there be purity, that there be a distinction between our lives and those without Christ. Jesus called it salt and light. If the salt loses its sting and if the light goes out, what difference is there between you and the one without Christ? Answer, nothing. It's as though they're working next to a heathen. It's as though pagan blood is coursing through your veins. So in order for there to be the living out of that message, authenticity has to be a part of that life. We must know. And we must live. By the way, that's the thing that caused people to believe in Christ. You know that? They kept saying, there's something different about that man. Even when they were dispatched to take him under arrest, they came back empty-handed and the Pharisees said, where is he? They said, no one ever spoke like that man. It was as if they said, we couldn't lay hands on that man. He talked as one that had authority and not as the scribes. He was strong and yet approachable. He was discerning and yet compassionate. He was confident and yet he was humble. You don't turn off a life like that. He lived it. So when Jesus said, I offer you eternal life, I'm not surprised that fishermen left their nets or that tax gatherers stopped the business of finance. I'm not surprised that uh, wanderers turned in their direction and started in his direction. That's not surprising. There's something about an authentic life mixed with a clear message that becomes incredibly magnetic. But we're not through. We talk about those things all the time. There are two other words that sort of rhyme with those first two words. Not only must we know, we must go. G O. One of my old mentors used to say to me as we'd look at the word gospel on the chalkboard you can't take the go out of the gospel, it's a part of the word. We must go. I'm going to tell you something that may surprise you. In my ministry, I could count on both hands a number of people who have come to me about salvation, out of the open, you know, out in the public, who have off the cuff, on their own, come to me about Christ and not have fingers left over. And I'm in it professionally. If you're waiting for someone to come to you, you will have very, very few encounters you go to them. And that's the whole purpose of the message of Christ. To free us up to take that. That balance is knowing. Going. Knowing. Going. And uh, not only must we live it. There's a fourth word. We must Give. Give as well. Obviously, God hasn't called every one of us to some distant, remote region outside the United States or within the United States. If he had, we'd be there. He has a way of getting his way, a la Jonah. You know, he doesn't get frustrated too often. Though it may very well be that some of you are right now in the throes of a great decision, you are right now teetering in your career, wondering if you could better spend it, certainly for eternity, in some other place than where you are right now. Don't drop that thought. You may very well ought to shudder down here and move there. But let's say that's not God's will for you. How do I participate in such a thing as this? I mean, uh, what, what do I do? How do I put feet to what you're talking about from this psalm and... and from those other passages of Scripture. You give. You get downright serious in your financial planning so that a chunk of your income goes to eternal goals. We started on a hill. We're going to end on a hill. The first hill was in Georgia. This next hill is uh, an imaginary hill. It's been dreamed up by Philip Yancey and Paul Brand in a book fearfully and wonderfully made. Consider the world as if it were shrunk down to a community of a thousand people. A thousand people is the world. In our town of 1,000, 180 of us live high on a hill, called the developed world. 820 live on the rocky bottom land called the rest of the world. 180 on the hill, 820 in the lowlands. The fortunate 180 on the hill have 80% of the wealth of the whole town Over half of all the rooms in the town, with over two rooms per person. 85% of all the automobiles, 80% of all the television sets, 93% of all the telephones, and an average income of $5,000 per person, including the babies, per person. The not-so-fortunate 820 in the lowland get by on about $700 a person per year, many of them on less than $75, and they average five persons to a room. How does the fortunate group of hill dwellers use its incredible wealth Well, as a group, they spend less than 1% of their income to aid the lower land. In the United States, for example, of every $100 earned, just a brief breakdown, $18.30 goes for our food, $6.60 is spent on recreation and amusement, $5.80 $5.80 buys clothes, $2.40 buys alcohol, buck 50 buys tobacco. Buck 30 is given for religious and charitable uses and only a small part of that gets outside the United States. Wonder how the villagers on the crowded plain a third of whose people suffer from malnutrition. Feel about the folks on the hill. That's heavy, isn't it? Do you know? Would you go? Do you live? Would you give? As never before in your life? I think so. I think you will. Let's bow together. Uh, Let me warn you about substituting a a brief emotional response for a volitional decision. Your emotions will cool off about mid-afternoon and and they'll, they'll soon drift and be lost altogether day after tomorrow. The Spirit of God works with timing. I've walked with God long enough to know that. And while I don't ever want to take advantage of the Spirit's work, I, I sure do realize the value of striking while the iron is hot. Some of you have promised the Lord for years that you're really going to give, take his stuff seriously. Is that reflected in your income, in your giving? Could you name ten countries right now that benefit regularly from your giving? Five, could you name even a half a dozen missionaries that would name your name as one of their supporters? Is your giving to any kind of ministry really that significant, really that different, or anywhere near sacrificial? My plea to you today is to get you get serious enough about these things to have them change your life. There are a lot of us that believe in it enough to die for it. There's no more exciting way to live than that sold out. If you've never met Jesus Christ, I assure you, he's available today. You've heard the gospel. My challenge to you is to believe it. Start there. You're the only one that's free of any sense of responsibility of these other things that have been said. Your need is to believe in Christ. Loving Father, uh, our our goal in this ministry is, is quite clear. It is to present Christ and to exalt his name and to live for his glory, whether it's by life or by death that carries with it some very extensive and expensive tentacles. It touches uh, the way we rear our children, the way we pay our bills, the way we view our philosophy of living, the the lifestyle we carry out, the way we dress and, and drive and sleep and eat and all of life. You haven't given us your word to make us comfortable. You've given us your word to prepare us for eternity. For all of these things are a lifestyle. May we find ourselves fitting into your plan beautifully and and wonderfully. Even to this day, may you lead to yourself those without the Savior May your Spirit bring them to faith. We meet and we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.
0: Chuck Swindoll assigned a question to the title of his message today. Why are we so blessed? You're listening to Insight for Living. You'll find resources related to our study online at insightworld.org. As you reflect on Chuck's closing remarks, and as you look for ways to share God's deep blessing in your life with others, we'd love to engage you in a ministry partnership with Insight for Living. The message you enjoyed today was delivered through more than 2,000 radio stations reaching far beyond the borders of this country to people who would otherwise never hear the good news. And when you give to Insight for Living, your donation is making an impact. People are listening at all points on the globe, on radio, over the Internet, and by using our mobile app. There's no better way to maximize your gift and multiply your effort than by becoming a monthly companion. A monthly companion agrees to give a donation every month. The process is simple. If you're listening in the United States, call 1-800-772-8888. Or online, go to insight.org slash monthlycompanion. Whether you're prepared to take that step today, or just want to give a one-time donation, there's a new book we'd like to send you. It's called The Way of Lament. Chuck?
1: Consoling those who grieve is not the exclusive assignment of the clergy. Yes, as a pastor, I've spent all too many hours standing at a gravesite beside grief-stricken husbands and wives, even moms and dads, as they unleash their loss and cry out to God for mercy. But all of us, no matter our profession, need to prepare for those inevitable moments of compassion and empathy. For that reason, I'm heartily endorsing a brand new resource from Pastor Terry Boyle, who serves Insight for Living in the United Kingdom. He's written a new book called The Way of Lament, a biblical approach to God in times of pain. In the pages of his book, Terry points us to the biblical model for taking our anguish to the throne of God, just like the psalmist did whether you're dealing with a personal loss or you're coming along someone who needs your wise, biblical counsel and compassion, you'll appreciate owning this book, The Way of Lament, A Biblical Approach to God in Times of Pain.
0: To get a copy of the book, The Way of Lament, contact Insight for Living today. It's available when you give a donation of any amount. And please don't let the size of your donation become a barrier to requesting Terry Boyle's book. Your contribution, large or small, truly makes a difference. Chuck's teaching on this station is made possible as all of us draw together toward a common goal to share the good news of God's Word as deeply and widely as possible. If you're listening in the United States, call 1-800-772-8888 or online go to insight.org. Once again, our phone number in the U.S. is 1-800-772-8888 and online, insight.org. Chuck Swindoll's series, Questions Christians Ask, continues Monday here on Insight for Living.
1: The preceding message, Why Are We So Blessed? was copyrighted in 1984, and the sound recording was copyrighted in 2013 by Charles R. Swindoll, Inc. All rights are reserved worldwide.